Get your Bibles if you've got them. We read this passage in Acts 6 last week. It's on page 914 if you're using a pew Bible. 914. Otherwise, you can use your apps or your own hard copy if you've got one. Just mentioned there are prayer cards for the Smith family out there on a couple of the tables in the foyer. So if you if you're one who needs reminders to pray, that's okay. You're in good company. Put one of those cards up someplace. You'll see it and continue to pray for the Smith family. I know that's clearly what they need most, not just in these next months, but in the months and potentially years ahead as they also ask for God's provision. That seems, in the financial side, that's the small part. He's moving bigger things than that. Uh, but there's a way to partner. How cool that we get to continue to be about God's work. And for some reason, he likes to do work partnered from this little spot in Redmond, Washington to southern Africa. So we continue to gain some footing down in that direction and praise God for that. We'll see what he's up to. Acts 6, not really a Palm Sunday kind of passage, is it? And yet, the king has come, and though we do not see him today with our eyes nor get to line the streets with the palm branches and cry out, Hosanna. We do look with heart and, and mind for ways to worship Him, for ways to serve Him today. And this is where we left off last week, Matthew 25. I ended with Jesus' words about how we continue to do that. How do we continue to worship and serve Him though He's not here but seated on the throne Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 25:34 and following. The king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me." They questioned him about all those things. When when did we do these, Lord? And he says in verse 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And he reminds us that since we do not have the chance today to serve him directly, to minister to his physical needs in these ways, to wrap a towel around our waist and wash His feet. As we serve the least of these, as we serve one another, we have the opportunity to serve Him, to serve our King, to worship our King. And so we look for ways to do that. That's our ultimate highest pursuit, to bring Him glory, to serve Him by serving those He came to serve. Our King models that for us. And so we try to put ourselves in that, in, that, in that crowd, lying in the streets, proclaiming what we even don't fully yet know, the greatness of what is fully yet to come. As John reminded us on that, on that fateful day, a week before Jesus would rise from the grave, people proclaimed, save us, Messiah. Save us, Lord. Looking through limited perspective, looking with veiled eyes. Right? The veil was still up. It needed to be torn. In some ways, we see more clearly. But Paul reminds us we see in the mirror dimly. One day we will see face to face. 
So we try, though limited, to see fully what he has done and is doing throughout history, even into our very present, and the promises of what he has yet to fulfill, his ultimate kingdom established in the new heavens and new earth. So we long for that and we connect it with Acts 6, ways to serve one another to be the body, the family of God. Each one finding its place and its part as we ultimately serve the King. We're taught throughout Scripture to serve the least, the last, the lost. Almost from beginning to end. I use the word prescription. It's kind of a buzzword for us in this series. We are prescribed to serve. We are told to serve spouse, children, family, extended family, neighbors, our leaders, the immigrant, the sojourner in our midst, the poor, as well as the fatherless, the widow, our leaders, even our enemies. But our service should go beyond just prescription, though from beginning to end we can find it in God's Word. Told to serve, taught to serve, shown how to, do, to, to serve by our, by our Lord and King Himself. But it should, and we hope, goes deeper than just prescription. But it moves to passion. As we begin to understand what has been done for us, how we have been served, how could passion not grow to serve others in the same way? Mark 10, 45, we read last week, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. From the incarnation to the crucifixion, from Christmas to Good Friday, Jesus came to serve, to give his life away. We looked at that picture from John 13 last week where he wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the feet of his disciples, even the one who would shortly betray him, as a model for humble service. The picture that we have before our eyes today on this Palm Sunday of Jesus riding in triumph knowing fully what he's coming into the city to accomplish, not what the crowds are crying, not, not specifically, something much deeper, something much greater, something much graver. It was heavy on his heart. But he came not on a warrior's horse, but a lowly donkey. Again, this picture of humility, the humble servant king. Jesus says, as you serve like this, as you serve one another, you serve me. As you serve the least, you serve me. As you serve the last, you serve like me. Peter teaches us, both in Acts 6, but also, and he wrote this letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Each has received a gift, so use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. For whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the very words of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God provides in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Sorry, the NIV is coming out there. Our service for God's glory to our joy. That's our ultimate, highest goal. This passage is primarily where we draw as a church our conviction that each one is gifted to serve. One of our core convictions and we've been working through a number of those throughout this series. They continue to be seen again and again as, as Acts models the early church, the genuine church, the, the normal Christian life, if you will. 
And so we see this conviction that each one is gifted to serve. And it's reinforced throughout Scripture, not just here in this passage. The two primary pictures, really, of God's people are family and body. Paul uses that imagery again and again, illustrating this truth that each part, each one, each member belongs, is critical for health, life, and strength. And last week we saw Acts 6. This is clearly modeled. The church is growing and multiplying just as all healthy things grow and multiply. With that often comes pressure. I said the problems are already there. They're under the surface. The pressure that comes with this church growth kind of brings those problems to the surface. And it could have been just about anything. In this case, there's this complaint that arises from these two groups of Jewish people who are now living in the city of Jerusalem. The Greek Jews, or the Hellenists, by some of your translations, those that had grown up outside of Jerusalem, maybe even outside of Judea and Israel, scattered from either persecution over centuries or had moved to find refuge or work or provision in some other land. And it was a Greek-speaking world in those days. And so they grew up speaking Greek, though they had the lineage, the heritage of being Jewish. So about 150, 200 years prior to this, the Old Testament that was in Hebrew was translated for the first time into Greek. And so many grew up not knowing a lick of Hebrew. And if they were taught it, it was marginal at best to learn or to hear or to understand. Well, now they've flocked back to Jerusalem in a time of, of greater peace. And as they're reorienting themselves to that culture and that community and those brothers and sisters, they still struggle to understand Hebrew, and some probably not even going through the effort, so they built a temple, a Greek-speaking temple. So it created this divide or division. Language sometimes does that, but certainly our cultures and traditions and even prejudices can create deeper division. Well, now these Jews have come to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've become the church. But those divisions, those problems are beneath the surface. And the pressure of this church growing and multiplying and blowing up kind of brings those problems to the surface. They had a deep heart to serve just like God's Word had taught them from beginning to end to serve the last and the least. The poor, the sojourner, the immigrant, the orphan, the widow. And in this case, it's amongst the widows that this problem surfaces. That these two groups, are the, the Greek Hellenist widows are feeling neglected in the distribution. Perhaps they were neglected, overlooked. Perhaps they were discriminated against. And so this problem arises and these complaints come to the leaders of the church. And what do they do? They administrate. They're convicted by this same conviction. They may have used different words, but they are convicted by each one is gifted to serve. Each one is empowered to do the work of the ministry, to serve one another. And so they administrate others to lead this ministry in a way that allows these leaders, these apostles, to stay devoted to the ministry of prayer and the Word of God. So they follow this conviction, and it's a model for us. And ultimately, they follow the 
Same path that Moses, one of their first and highest regarded leaders, followed in Exodus 18. Here's an extended passage, but I want to read it because I think it's, it, it sets a model that's followed that I believe proves the same spirit, the same heart, is at work in His people, in the body, in the family. And it might give us hope that that same spirit is at work amongst us today. So track along with me. This is after the Exodus. You know probably a bit of that story of God's people in the wilderness preparing for the promised land and things didn't quite go according to their plan. But here's one of the bumps that arises, the complaints, the problems that come from this massive group of people now being displaced and trekking through this land. Exodus 18, verse 13. Moses sat down to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And Moses had a good father-in-law who saw all that he was doing for the people, and he said, what is this that you're doing? Why are you sitting alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said, Naturally, because the people are coming to me to inquire of God. They have a dispute. They come to me, and I decide between one person and another and make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you, you'll certainly wear yourself out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So obey my voice. I will give you advice the one who sat and gave advice day after day, receiving the advice from a father-in-law. I don't know about you. How's your relationship with your father-in-law if he came to you and spoke with this kind of intensity? Obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws. All of this is good. Make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, here's the part, here's the advice. Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy, men who hate a bribe, right? not, not lovers of money, and place such men over the people as their chiefs, as their managers, over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, and over tens, What structure, what administration, right, going into place here. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. So any matter they cannot fulfill on their own, they bring to you. But any small matter they can decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. And if you do this, God will direct you and and you will be able to endure And all this people will also go to their place in peace. And so Moses listened and did what he said. So we see this leadership and administration at work centuries before Acts 6, but being followed in a very similar way. This conviction, hey, there's so many more who are gifted and able, gifted by the same Spirit to carry the work, to do the work of ministry one to another. Those full of wisdom and full of the Spirit, as we see in Acts 6, And I wonder if the same Spirit then is at work amongst us today. The Spirit who gifts in the same way. Who fills us with wisdom. Who makes us able. That we can be the body to serve. To bring advice, counsel, judgment, and ultimately peace through the work of God. 
how does this work? Okay, culture is different, times are different, numbers are different. Last week, we really just focused on what is service and why serve, and I promised the how today. So there's a lot of practical nuggets here, I hope. How do you become able and gifted to serve? How does that happen? How do you discover your spiritual gift? If the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit bringing gifts, how do you discover them? And how do you begin to serve in accordance with them? It's so critical. This is so vital for the church. Again, it's one of our convictions for a reason. Along with, we must rely on the Holy Spirit. Everything we have belongs to God. Each one is gifted to serve. So they work really in in coordination with one another. And I began with some alliteration. That's why I use the word prescription. That's why I use the word passion. So from prescription to passion, through prayer, practice, and with perception. Run through these three. All things by prayer. Also a conviction. Once we understand the prescription to serve, in some ways that should be enough. Of what God has done for us, He's saved us, He's called us, He can ask us of anything. And we could simply work in response to that prescription, that command that we find throughout Scripture to serve others, to give away ourselves, to walk in humility, to look for others' needs, as Paul says, and even consider them greater than our own. So we could simply move to that prescription. We hope it goes deeper to passion as we begin to more fully realize what has been done for us, what is continually done for us because of Christ and through the work of the Spirit. We hope it grows into a deeper passion that we don't run dry in that service. From there, I think we can jump sometimes simply to practice. We can skip over the praying part as if we could work on our own. Let's not miss the praying part. Now, to be sure, and I think it's worth saying, hey, we can also use prayer as an excuse. If we have an opportunity to serve and the means to potentially be able to help a need or to help a person in need, we should serve. God's put us in position to do that. Here's an example, right? You're driving along the road. I'm sure you've got somewhere to go. Otherwise, why would you be out driving along the road? And you see a car clearly flat tire, broken down. Do you have the means, let's put yourself into position, to, you've changed many flat tires and you look over and you see a mom and three young children inside the car. You're going to be late to wherever you're going. But you pull over and get out. You see, what, what's, what's the matter? What's the issue? It's pretty apparent, isn't it? Kind of a dumb question well, I don't know how to change a tire and this is a busy road and I've got three kids and I can't get a hold of my husband. And so I don't, I'm, I'm about ready to call the, the, the tow truck. Let me pray about it for a couple days is not a good response in that moment. I wish you well, I will pray for you. And off you go. Is that, is that the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in that moment? I had a knock on the door this week, homeless man, wondering if we could help. We, or here's the church, come into the church. I quoted to him James 3, James 2, after listening to his story, after hearing some of the journey that he had been on. 
James 2.15 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, I'll pray for you. I wish you well. Now, that's not exactly what he says, but that's kind of the heart here. Go in peace. Be warm and filled. If I had said to this man, I hear you, I hear you, brother, it's hard. Be, I'll pray for you. Be warm and well-fed. Is that what he needs in that moment? Maybe it's the, and maybe it is what he most needs. But James says, go, James says, what good is it if you know the need and do nothing about it? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. At that point, by the grace of God and by generosity of, of you, I was able to help meet a need as I also prayed for him, encouraged him, and did wish him well. Be warm and well-fed. I hope that is true for you. But I'm also able to meet a need and extend an invitation for further connection as God might lead. So let's not use prayer as an excuse. Let me pray about it. When there's an opportunity to meet a need and we have the means to meet it. But may we also be in deep prayer. God, would God give us more opportunities like those? Those are almost one-off, right? Like that's not a big commitment. That doesn't take great spirituality. It takes availability. But if we were praying prayers like we left last week, God, help me see those I don't even see. Help me see the overlooked, the marginalized, the discriminated against, the oppressed, the poor, the immigrant, the sojourner. Help me see the orphan and, and the widow that I don't see. If we were praying prayers like that, maybe these opportunities would come up more often. May we also pray, as we have a prescription to serve, I hope a growing passion to serve, May we be in prayer for how to serve. Begin by praying heart-level prayers. Lord, grow in me your heart to serve. Grow that in me. See, we can all choose to serve. Grow in me the heart that weeps, that breaks when I see a need. And there's so much need, often we can't even meet it. But grow in me the heart, Lord, Pray prayers like this, heart level. Make me trustworthy, able, not a lover of money. Fill me with your spirit and your wisdom. These very things called out in Exodus 18 and Acts 6. Grow these in me, Lord. And one day you might be surprised when another leader or a pastor comes to you and says, hey, would you lead this small group? We have a need. And you might say, you're looking to me to lead, to lead that group or to lead a ministry? Why? How do you become a leader of tens? How do you become a leader of 50? A hundred? A thousand? Not by asserting yourself? Although in some ways, being willing and stepping forward is, is an act of faith. But by praying a prayer like this, a heart prayer that says, Lord, fill me with your spirit and your wisdom that I might be able to serve another. You pray that often, and you'll probably find yourself over tens, maybe then over hundreds. Who knows about the thousands? 
So pray according to heart level spiritual transformation. Paul also teaches us 1 Corinthians 14, from 12 to 14, 1 Corinthians is a place to go if you're looking for the spirit at work and the gifting of the body, and he lists a number of spiritual gifts, and he instructs the church. Paul tells us we are also to pray for spiritual gifting, for the empowering of the Holy Spirit to serve. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, coming off of 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you may know that passage, the love passage of Scripture. So he continues this theme, pursue love. Keep your eyes fixed on, ultimately, right, everything, everything hangs on two commandments that center on that love. Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So continue to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. In verse 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Earnest desire and eagerness to serve. Now, earnest desire and eagerness can't be choices, can they? We can behave in ways that look like earnest desire and eagerness. But if they're to be genuine, as they were in the Corinthian church, genuine earnestness, genuine eagerness, they must go deeper. How could they come without prayer? Lord, grow this in me. Grow this heart in me that I too would be eager, that I would have an earnest desire for more of you, for the spiritual gifting in order to serve. Pray for that passion. And then pray for the awareness. If Peter said to the church, each one is gifted to serve, that means that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been gifted. Each one is gifted to serve, so here's how to serve. Here's what you do. Pray with an awareness for that gifting. I think some of you in this room are very aware of the way God has gifted you. Others of you maybe have no inkling whatsoever. We'll get into that in just a moment. God, give me an awareness of the way you have already gifted me. Now, nowhere does Paul say we have one gift and one gift only. Likely we are gifted in many ways. Often there are even seasons, places he sends us and the Spirit works in a whole new way for that reason. But we have been gifted, so pray for an awareness to know that gift. And be content if you know of one spiritual gifting and you are able to use it to build up the church. I say also, Paul tells us, Pray for the spiritual gifting. So pray for greater or more gifting. I think that's a good prayer. But not in the neglect of the way that he has already gifted you. In the body metaphor, the brain does a lot of things. The heart does one thing. Both are vital for life. Maybe you have one gift that you know of, that you are able to use it within the body. Be content in that. The Spirit is in that. As you say, Lord, I don't want to miss anything you might want to do. I'm open, Lord. Empower that one more greatly. Give me more of your gifts. 
Don't assume you don't have a spiritual gift without beginning to pray for that awareness and potentially opportunity to exercise it, to put it into practice. That's number two. As we continue to pray, we begin to put into practice the opportunities to serve. So whether you know your gifting, have an inkling potentially as you read through 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, not exhaustive list by any means, just a, a lot of different ways God equips and gives gifts through the Spirit for the health and growth of the church. Begin to put it into practice. Notice here that with the, in the verse that I read, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul doesn't rebuke the Corinthian church for their eager desire to see the Spirit manifest in their midst. That was a good desire. But he redirects them to say, you want to see the Spirit work most faithfully and most fully in your midst? Here's where you need to put your effort. Build up the church. Strive to excel in building up the body. To encourage, to support, to serve. You do that and you will see the Spirit in fullness in your midst. Just that slight redirection. If you have zero inkling of your gifting, and I'm assuming that some of us, maybe you even know ways that you had been gifted, and yet in this season, you don't even know how to use that anymore. Capacity, circumstances, your own strength or health are not what they once were. There's the understatement of the day for some of you. Notice as we look through these lists too, how spiritual of nature so many of them are and how vital those are for the body. And maybe you are in a season where your, your previous gifting, where you, which you knew how to use, you don't have the capacity or the strength to use it in that way anymore. Maybe you will devote yourselves along with us as leaders to prayer. And there may not be anything that we need more greatly. You are vital for the body no matter what your body tells you. Lean in. And sometimes we have to rediscover. So you may have zero inkling. You may be wondering about a new season and God, are you gifting? And how do I serve you as I serve one another now? And I say, begin to put it into practice. Begin to practice in areas of service as you continue to pray for that awareness the Spirit is not limited and He's not static. As we begin to serve and begin to explore ways simply to bless, we will discover our spiritual gifting. Just sitting and waiting for some kind of sign or some kind of word, it may come. I've got many examples in Scripture that certainly reinforce that idea. But we have far more prescription in Scripture to simply go and serve one another. So start putting into practice as you pray for the gifting, as you pray for the awareness. Here's a couple examples within our context. Because if you are part of this body, you are gifted to serve and to build it up. And if you're a guest with us, you're in town, you're visiting, you're a friend, then I encourage you to go back into your context and your community and serve as you discover your gifts 
and if you know them, then fully in accordance with them. Perhaps as you read through 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, you say, do I have a gift of hospitality? And by the way, I can't go into the full exposition of all of these, and there's books written on them. In fact, we have a growth group in, I'd say, pre-germination stage where we say this is such a vital area, it would be helpful to have a series of classes and courses going through the giftings and exploring them together. And so that may, that may germinate at some point. But cursory, a couple examples. Hospitality. Do you have people over to your house? Especially your stranger neighbors? Pun intended. The immigrant, the sojourner in our midst. Is your table open? Explore that gift. Join our welcome team. Talk to Phil and Lori Lee. Potentially host a life group. Not, don't commit for the next five years. Just say, hey, I, is there a life group that needs a space? I think I've got a space for that. Start to put into practice a gift of hospitality. The Spirit will start to show you if that is a gifting of His or just a faithful act of service and love? Do you have a gift of mercy or teaching? Join our children's team. We need a great team, and so many of you are on that team, but talk with Eric Albright. Or talk to Pastor Craig about our growth groups if you're wondering about a gift of teaching. Maybe pursue equipping as a counselor if you, have a, if you think you could have a gift of teaching or of mercy. Talk with Darlene Hanny. She can get you connected with some awesome equipping. Maybe you have a gift of helps. Paul calls, that, calls out a gift of helps. Often that's a person that can simply go and serve with joyous heart just about anywhere there's a need. Maybe talk with Dan Driscoll about our facilities team. Please join our slides team if you have a gift of helps. <laughs> you can talk with me. You can talk with Holly Shoebridge. If you have a gift of helps and potentially mercy, then join our mercy team who serves those in need in our community and those that come to us. Perhaps you have a gift of administration. Yes, that's a gift. We talked about it last week. Talk with Janine Briscoe or contact the church office. There's ways to employ that, and there's various ways. That's not limited to an office context. It's bringing order out of some chaos. And I think probably just about every one of our ministries could use that gift. If you have a gift of knowledge, here are some of the spiritual ones, or you wonder about it, gift of knowledge, wisdom, healing, discernment, prophecy, tongues, miracles, these would be gifts that we, I'm sure, would spend some weeks on in a growth group context, but if you have an inkling of that or you know there's a gift in there, please talk with one of us as pastors. We need all of these gifts at work in the body, and just the short statement here is, in the Alliance family, we are not cessationists, we are continuationists. I don't know if that brought clarity or more confusion, but we'd be happy to talk through that some more. These are just a few, just a few examples. I know it's some nuts and bolts and practical, but it's for the building up of Christ's body, of his family, and it's crucial and essential. You are gifted to serve. You've been given much. And just like we are called to be stewards because everything we have comes from God, whether it's stewarding our time, our energy, our resources, we steward our gifts. Otherwise, the body suffers and is limited. So start putting into practice what an inkling of a gift 
or simply as an opportunity that arises that you wonder, I think I have, I have, a, I have means to meet that need as you continue to pray. Many of these gifts, I should say, I probably could have said this earlier, jump in my notes here. As we read through those lists we start, and you start to have a, a biblical knowledge and awareness of other spots, so many of those things are calls for every one of us. Right? Here's a few examples. Exhortation, generosity, mercy, and teaching. All of God's people are told, again, prescribed to serve in those ways. So there must be something to this spiritual gifting. So, hey, we've got the, I, I'm called to show mercy. I'm going to walk in mercy. I'm trying to extend mercy. How do we become aware if there's a gifting in that area? How do we discover our spiritual gifts? With perception. With perception. So as we put into practice, in prayer, service, with perception, we start to discover spiritual gifts. Here's an example. When I was first asked to preach at 19 in a college group context, so amongst peers, I had been leading and helping in in youth ministry for a fair bit. When I was first asked to preach, man, I was terrified of public speaking in that context. All I could think of in my limited context was back to high school where if I had a public presentation, I I wouldn't sleep well that night. I'd be nervous. I'd be anxious. I'd be, you know, somewhat flustered. And it showed. But with an opportunity and a desire to serve, I said yes. And as I stepped up to preach God's word, there was no nervousness. There was no reservation. There was no hesitation. Now it was still raw, not very coherent, and fairly elementary. And I'm struck that not much has really changed. (laughs) And what also hasn't changed is that others, even in that moment, were blessed by it, encouraged, and affirmed. That's how you begin to see a gifting at work. When you recognize this is, this is not of me, it's not who I am, and I'm not even sure that was all that helpful, but I said yes to an opportunity to give glory to God and try to encourage others, and for some reason they were greatly encouraged, and they affirmed, and they said, thank you. There's a gifting in that. And that could apply to any of the giftings. As we start to put into practice, when an opportunity comes with perception, God, are you in this? Or am I simply saying yes to serve and be faithful? That's good too. Be perceptive as you pray and put into practice the opportunities that come to you. That was an opportunity. More came. We all have the same call to follow Jesus and to give him our whole life. God directs us according to our gifting within the body in unique and special ways. Really, we continue simply to say yes to opportunities. How do you end up selling everything and moving to Zimbabwe? You say yes to God about a thousand times. I think that's an opportunity. I think we could help those people. That's not, it's within our means. It's a little bit of a stretch. It's a step of faith. Yeah, let's do that little reordering of life to do it, little sacrifice. Man, we were blessed in that and that we seem to bless others. That's a lifetime. 
The end of our story for all of us doesn't always end that same way. That's not some higher, more spiritual call. It's simply saying yes to the opportunities that come. So with perception, do the same kinds of opportunities continue to come to you? And why, why do I keep getting asked to help and serve in this way? Okay, there might be desperation, but the Spirit might be in that because of the way He's equipped you and you don't even see it. Are you putting that into practice and with that perception saying, is there a, is there a gifting here? There's a place for it to start. Because we start with what comes to us and we be faithful with that. Just as Jesus said in Matthew 25, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. The saying yes a thousand times. You are faithful to that opportunity. I'm giving you more. More will come. And so whether you have an inkling of your gifting or not, as you serve, serve with this perception and ask questions like this, was it relatively easy? Now, saying yes was the hard part, but actually serving, that was relatively easy. Now, to be fair, with a, with a humble heart, scrubbing urinals or scraping up gum off of the carpet can be done unto the Lord with joy. Anything can be done unto the Lord. But the perception comes in when you start to say, you know what, relatively, that was, that was easy, easy for me to serve. And I found joy in doing it. And when I consider those that I know and those in the body, I know that it's not that act of service, that way of serving or leading or stepping in is not easy for many people. That's a perception of a spiritual gifting in that area. And again, be perceptive as people respond to you. As you talk with others and they ask you, as they see the way that you serve and they say, how do you do that? You, just, you continue to serve in that. How do you do that? If you get that question, you're working in your gifting. Assuming your perception of your joy level in that service is accurate. As I serve in this way, and oh, it's not always easy. That's not the point. But as I serve in this way, I find a joy in it. And if I didn't, if this was taken from me, I know I could be faithful and I could serve in many ways, but there would be a, there would be a gap. There would be an emptiness. I think that's a place within the body that I'm meant to serve. Here's another example. If you have a gift of mercy or the shepherd's heart, visiting the poor, visiting the sick, think about visiting in the hospital or the infirm in someone's home, feels natural to you. You can sit. You may say nothing. You might even know what to say. Maybe you haven't been given a gift of teaching. I'd open the Bible. I don't know. I could read a passage. You have a favorite passage? I'll read it to you. But sitting there and just being present, listening, encouraging. If that's natural, there's likely a gift of mercy at work because there'd be many within the body that would say, I'll do it if I have to, if I'm asked, but that feels so unnatural to me. It's an example, but perhaps if you have a gift of teaching, you're able to explain a concept and people seem to get it fairly easily. All, All teaching is not in lecture format like this. In fact, there's so many studies that Say this is the most ineffective way of learning. 
Uh, and yet Jesus did it, so we're continuing in that thread. But if you have a gift of teaching, it's used most often in explaining a difficult concept and having someone go, oh, oh, I get it. And that should be showing up at many places in your life, not just within the church. If you see a problem and understand the solution and have a real hard time helping other people connect the dots, or why can't you see it? Just get out of the way, I'll do it. It's probably not a gift of teaching. It might be a gift of helps, or you might need to work on the spiritual fruit of patience. (laughs) Be perceptive of your joy and sense of purpose as you serve and go, you know what? Not only was it relatively easy in the midst of the body when I see very few people who want to do that work and even who can do that work, And I find a fulfillment in that. Be perceptive of those things. And then finally, be perceptive of the affirmation of others, as I was indicating in in my example of of preaching. When you serve, like, I don't even know if that was all that helpful. And others are coming to you saying, thank you so much. Man, that blessed me. Thank you for being there. So encouraging. Things like that. That affirmation is is the Spirit working in a body to say, you're in your place. That's your part. It doesn't mean that if you hear nothing that that's the wrong place, but as you continue to serve in those ways of gifting, you will continue to hear that in those areas more often than in the other areas because the Spirit resonates. And others know it when you are when the hand is doing what the hand should do and the mouth is doing what the mouth should do and the feet are doing what the feet should do and the internal organs are keeping everything alive and going, the body is healthy and growing and thriving and we can't help but say, man, I, and we, we might even struggle to say, you're just a blessing. Thank you so much. So be perceptive as you put into practice with prayer these giftings. And I just want to say as I close here, thank you to all who serve. Thank you that I can stand up here and to this body, to this family, preach this message with simply encouragement from the elders to the deacons to the ministry leaders to you with the gifts of helps that are just about everywhere within this body, to you with the gifts of mercy who serve and carry that weight with us for all those in need, the gift of the shepherd's heart that goes far beyond Craig, John, and me where you are actually visiting and serving and meeting, to you who are the behind-the-scenes ones who prefer it that way, <laughs> but you bring, you bring health, you bring strength, you bring vitality. Thank you. And I know we have room for more. And if you are here and getting plugged in and you are not serving at all or in accordance with your gifts, you're missing out. We aren't as strong as we could be. The body must all be at work, each one. We're striving for that. But this is an invitation, this isn't a plead, it's an invitation to be with the body in accordance with your gifts, to be blessed, to be encouraged, and to help strengthen and build. And so if that is you and you want to plug in and you're still after all of this, say, I I still don't know what to do, grab a card, put a name, an email, or a phone number and simply say, I want to help. How can I help? Something like that. Mm -hmm. And we would love to figure out with you place in the body. As you begin practicing, we start to direct and find out the affirmation 
of where your gifting is. And if you are, if you know that your capacity is not the same and you're resonant on, you know what? I'm not devoting myself to prayer and I can do that. Man, we've got some prayer warriors here and we have some great needs. So please let us know. We'd love to share more with you on the greater needs of this body, both for the mission and ministry one to another, but also in this community and even to the ends of the earth. Let's finish again. Let's finish this with a reminder of the why. Because I'm very, I know how important it is to deal with the how, but let's never lose sight of the why. Otherwise, this becomes a business, not a family. The why, right here from Ephesians 4, verse 15, Paul says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As we serve and as we grow, we are growing into Christ for the strength and health of his body. Let's be reminded of that as we worship him today and seek to serve him this week by serving one another. Let's remember He is the head. He's worthy of all praise. We sing to him, Hosanna, King Jesus. King Jesus, come. I'm going to pray for us, invite the team to come, and then I'll lead us into this response. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active, that it directs us, encourages us, exhorts us, and even when necessary, rebukes us. We respond to it now, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement that as we follow you, Jesus, the Spirit has already gifted us in the body. There's a place. There's a part. Maybe relationally we're not even yet connected, but we have a place in your body, in your family. We are one. We belong. We are needed. We are necessary. Thank you, Lord. And thank you that we work to discover that there's a process of discovery of the ways you've gifted us, that we might serve others in many ways as we find out what you, Spirit, are doing specifically in our life, in our moments, in the fields that you've planted us in. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the head, the chief shepherd, the senior pastor of Union Hill Church, that we all serve as the body under you the head. King Jesus, we worship you today. You came to serve. We have opportunity to serve you as you yet continue to serve, love, and pursue us. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and King. And Lord, as we lead into this week, remind us again and again of who you are, what you've done, and what you've promised to do. We love you, Lord. Amen.